0: Jesus, you are that awesome, mighty king. You are the overcomer. And we thank you that when we trusted in you, we became overcomers as well. Father, we thank you for being our great father. Holy Spirit, thank you for being the one who comes alongside. And I ask you to lead us as we open your word to not only learn more about you, but hopefully to walk out of here living more in the power that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many of you guys enjoy wrestling with tough questions and how many of you guys would rather go the other way. Group this size, there's probably some of both. There's a guy in the church world named Reggie McNeil who likes wrestling with the tough questions when it comes to the church world. In fact, he wrote a book at the beginning of the 2000s that Andrew, our drummer, let me borrow, and I started reading it. Good stuff. It's called The Present Future. Interesting title. The subtitle was Six Tough Questions for the Church. I don't know how you guys feel about statistics. If you don't like statistics, we'll talk about music in a second, but we're going to start with statistics, Bill. I know some say that 99% of statistics are made up. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. I don't know if these numbers are exact, but I think you'll all agree that the general trends that Reggie talks about here, we see them in our world. He says that for the past 30 years, they've been doing polls out there. And they continue to do polls, but they've been asking this one question for 30 years. Are you a regular church attender? And for the past 30 years or so, the number has hung steady right around 40 to 43 percent. Almost half of people say they're regular church attenders. And Reggie looks at that stat and says, come on. He doesn't believe that stat. I don't know if that's your experience. If you look around your world, do you, do you really find that 50% of people that you know attend church regularly? He, he asked the question, are there even enough seats for that in your town? If 50% of your town decide to show up at church, is there room for them? And so he he referenced a study in the early 90s that was put on by the University of Maryland and the U.S. Bureau of Labor. So I don't know how you feel about the the poll or not, but they wanted to do it based not on just asking people, are you a regular church attender, but on diary entries where they recorded each time they attended church over, over a stretch of time. And they found that the number was probably more like 25%. Only one out of four people in America, according to that survey, regularly attend a church. Even if you believe the higher numbers, they're watching generational statistics and they're constantly going down. The builders, that generation before the boomers, if I'm right, they were about 52% regular church attendance. Skip a couple generations down to the Xers and it was down to 36%. And it goes on down from there. Now, it'd be easy for those of us in the church world to sort of bury our head in the sand and just sort of say, well, I guess people just ain't as interested in spirituality as they used to be. But what Reggie McNeil challenges us with is that's just not the case. Listen to this quote. He says, many church leaders confuse the downward statistics on church participation with a loss of spiritual interest in Americans. The truth is, although intrigue with institutional religion is down, interest in spirituality is up. A 2003 Gallup poll indicates that a vast majority of Americans say that religion has an impact on every area of their life. Many have observed that there's a spiritual awakening occurring in America. And this is the part we ought to underline in his quote. However, most of it is not informed by Christian theology. And it's not happening in the church. I want you to hear what he's not saying. He's not saying God's done with his church. If you read the whole book, you'll know that about his heart. He believes in the church. He leads the church. He's in the church. He's not saying God's done with it. He's not saying nothing good is happening. He's just looking at two very interesting statistics. Interest in spirituality is up, but church attendance is down. And he's saying, what is wrong? Why is that? Now, I told you, if you're not a stats guy or a gal... Maybe you like the music world. If you doubt that there is a spiritual hunger out in our world, all you got to do is flip through your radio stations for a few minutes and you'll be amazed how many songs have this restless searching in the lyrics, looking for something more than this world has to offer to meet their deepest needs. Just try it this weekend. write down every song you hear. You'll be amazed. I don't know if I'm in a time warp this this evening or what, but... The song I wanted to talk about in particular is back around the early 2000s too. I don't know if it's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure kind of thing that I'm sort of stuck back there. People say preachers should have current stuff, but this is what I got tonight. So (laughs) go with me on this. 2003, there was a group called Evanescence that came out with their first album called Fallen. One of my favorite songs ever was on that album. It was a song called Bring Me to Life. A lot of you guys know that song. Some of you love that song, especially before a good sports game or, or something like that because it, it really is a rocking song. And there was a big debate at the time, was Evanescence a Christian band or not? And I don't want to get into all that. What I want to point out is that that song, that album went huge. They sold over 17 million albums of Fallen. They reached number three on the Billboard charts. That was the first time a group with a lead singer that was a female had done that in a long, long time. They got two Grammy Awards out of that album. And I honestly believe it was more than just the music. I believe it was because people that listened to the lyrics said, I'm looking for what they're looking for. I want what they want because there's something missing in my life. And I want you to listen to some of the lyrics from that song. And tell me if you can't hear the searching going on here. Without a soul, my spirit's sleeping somewhere cold until you find it there and lead it back home. Wake me up inside. I can't wake up. Call my name and save me from the dark. Bid my blood to run before I come undone. Save me from the nothing I've become. Breathe into me and make me real. Frozen inside without your touch, without your love, darling, only you are the life among the dead. I've been sleeping a thousand years, it seems. Got to open my eyes to everything without a thought, without a voice, without a soul. Don't let me die here. There must be something more. Bring me to life. I think that's why that song went so big. People know there's something more out there. And if you ever watch the music video for it, the the lead singer, the the main character in the video, she wakes up at night in her bed and and you can see she's restless. She's searching for something. So she actually climbs out of her window onto the ledge of her high-rise apartment. And it's a dream that she's having. So she's able to go from building to building. And as she goes from building to building, she sees the things that people often turn to to fill that hole but leave them short in the end. You see her walk past one apartment where this elderly married couple is sitting five feet apart from each other on the couch just staring at the television like zombies. We all know the emptiness that that can bring if we try to find our satisfaction in what's on the TV. It it leaves us empty if that's where we're looking for that main, main fix. It shows her walk past an apartment where there's a great party going on dancing and and music and and people with bottles, and yet they all have masks on in the video. And and as she walks by, it shows one girl at the party lift up her mask, and you see the girl's mascara running down her face, showing that that party scene is not going to meet that ultimate need either. So surely it's a guy. And you see near the end of the video, she gets to this Room where there's a bunch of guys, and this guy reaches out to grab her hand. But in her dream, you know what happens? Even the guy drops her, and she falls floor after floor after floor. And I don't know the band. I I don't know all that they meant by that. But what I see that is all those places where we normally turn to fill those voids inside, if we're looking to those for the ultimate satisfaction, meaning, rest, life, whether it's those things or money or comfort or status, they all come up short. I think that's why that album went so big. Now, here's the deal for us as the church that believe in Jesus Christ. We've got the answer. We've got a relationship with the God who is the only one who can meet that need for spirituality in their lives that they're so desperately looking for. But the question I'm wrestling with is when they come around the church, when the church comes around them, do they see something supernatural? Do they see something spiritual in our lives because of the Holy Spirit? Or do they see people trying to do this thing in our own power? Do they look at the church and see my watch? Some of you guys have seen the watch while I'm preaching tonight. Looks cool with this shirt, but you know what? The second hand has not ticked all week long. There is no power in this watch. It needs a battery. And I wonder how many churches are just like this watch. They look just, just just, sharp, you know. They look sharp on the outside. Everything looks cool, coordinates well. But there's no power because we're trying to do it without the Holy Spirit. And I think as I look at the church world, there's two extremes that I all too often run into. And I'm not just talking about other churches. I think I want us as a church to examine ourselves too. We're not immune. I'm not here to, all churches need to constantly be evaluating ourselves on this level. One extreme is do we ignore the Holy Spirit? Is he just totally left out of our everyday conversation, our everyday trust, our everyday living, breathing, moving lives? That's the one extreme over there. The other is to totally turn him into a mockery, to misunderstand him completely. And I'm talking about things like people barking like dogs and and cackling like chickens, all in the name of the Holy Spirit. Those are the two extremes I see out there. And here's why it bothers me so much. If people in the world are looking for something spiritual and they look at us and they see there's nothing spiritual there. They're just trying things in their own power just like I am. Or they're seeing people that are totally taking him out of whack, doing things in his name that show up nowhere in Scripture. There's a real good chance they're going to go look for their spiritual fix somewhere else. And what's humbling to me, and you guys know this if you've been around the church a while, There are plenty of other spirits out there that are anything but holy that would love the role of leading them into eternity. If that doesn't shake you up, I don't know what will. If that doesn't help you understand why one reason the Holy Spirit is so important, I don't know what will. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited to kick off this series called God in Me, the Holy Spirit. And where I want to start tonight on it is the fact that he is often misunderstood. And I want to look at some of the ways he's misunderstood and look at what the Bible actually teaches about him. And Keep in mind, this is a series, so we're not going to hit everything tonight. we got some time. We're just going to crack this open tonight. And for some of you, this may be a welcome review Maybe you're familiar with the Holy Spirit and you're living in his power. I hope this will be a welcome review for you. For some, it may help you know why you believe what you've always believed about him. Maybe it'll solidify it in your heart. My hope is also that for some, maybe this will start a brand new journey of discovery. Maybe you haven't trusted Jesus and you're just checking things out and you're looking for this spirituality. I'm glad you're here. Or maybe you have trusted Jesus but after trusting him for your salvation, you still picked up the reins and said, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't know where you're at, but I hope this is going to be a good ride for all of us. I want to start out just by saying, number one, we got five, five overarching ideas tonight. He is not a ghost. <laughs> He's a spirit. And you might say, well, who, who cares? You know, is it really that big of a deal? Well, for me it is. Number one, on a psychological level, those people that go out and do the ghost hunting and stuff, I don't get that. Like, I don't like hanging out with with ghosts, and I don't believe those are ghosts anyway. I think the Bible teaches when people die, they go to Abraham's bosom to wait for heaven or they go to Hades to wait for hell. So whatever spirits they're encountering, I don't want to be hanging out with. So when you call the Holy Spirit a ghost, I, it sort of makes me like, I, I don't know if I want to hang out with him. I don't want to hang out with a ghost. It's a poor translation of a word that you'll see in the Bible. Uh, In the Old Testament, Genesis 1-2, the spirit, and you guys can say this with me. This is the Hebrew word. It helps you clear your throat. Rock, rock of God was hovering over the waters. That's the first chapter of Genesis. New Testament, the word is pneuma. The spirit and the bride say, come, Jesus. That's the last chapter of the Bible. I chose those verses intentionally just to do away with any idea that somehow the Holy Spirit only showed up when the church started. He's all through the book, He's all through history because He's God. And we'll get there a little bit more later. But you can see that it's translated Spirit. Another reason that's important that we know He's a spirit and not a ghost. When I think of a ghost, I think of the spirit of a dead person. And you know what? According to my Bible, according to my experience, God is not dead. So it doesn't make sense that he would have a ghost. It does make sense that he would have a spirit. And besides that, some of us grew up watching Casper, and some of us think he's the holiest ghost I know. And that doesn't exactly work on a number of different levels, including me singing either. (laughs) But that word, look at the Greek word pneuma. How many of you guys got pneumatic tools? What are pneumatic tools? What do they use? Air, Air, yes. And that's one other thing that's important about this word spirit. It, It often includes that idea of breath or air of God as well. But he is not a ghost. He's a spirit. Okay, let's start there. Second, he's not a force. He's a person. This idea that somehow the spirit is some sort of elusive force like electricity or fire, is nothing new. It's been around from the beginning of the church age. Some of you guys know of a man named Arius. He's the one that started this within a few centuries of Jesus being around and he would teach that the Holy Spirit is not God. He's a a force. He's like electricity. But there's this little council in 325 called the Council of Nicaea where godly men got together, opened the book and said, you're wrong, Arius. We condemn that teaching. And yet, like most false teaching... Satan likes to keep it around, and he'll put a new package on it, and this is what you'll hear when the Jehovah's Witnesses show up at your door. They hold on to Arius' old lie that the Holy Spirit is just a force. But I want to look at a couple verses and see how that lines up with what God's Word says, because that's our authority. I don't say he's not a force just because I don't like that idea. I want to look at what God says. Ephesians 4.30 It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And in context, it lists a bunch of sins like anger and having a foul mouth and other stuff, indicating that when we sin as God's children, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to grieve someone? You break their heart. You lose someone that dies. Your heart is broken. You are grieving. Do forces grieve? You know any forces that grieve? Getting some confused looks. Let me break it down like this. Some of you guys like to go camping. How many campers? I want you to imagine that you're, you're camping and it's the end of the night and it's time to head into your tent and, and you know you've got to put out the fire because the ranger said so. So you go get a bucket of water and you carry it and your eyes start to well up with tears and you look at the fire and you say, I'm so sorry. I know this is going to break your heart. But I have to do it. The ranger told me. (laughs) Will you please forgive me? That's ridiculous, isn't it? Because forces don't grieve. Fire doesn't grieve. Electricity doesn't grieve. People With personalities, grieve. Let me get to another verse. 1 Corinthians 12, in the context of spiritual gifts, which we'll talk about more in this series. All these spiritual gifts are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one, each person, just as he determines. Determines is that idea that he's using his mind to make a decision. Forces don't use their minds to make decisions. People do. So the fact that he decides who gets what gifts tells us he's not a force. He's a person. Last but not least, for the sake of our study, look at Acts 13.2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, what? Said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I gotta give you a heads up. If your electricity ever starts saying things, <laughs> you better get out of your house. Forces do not say, people say. So the Holy Spirit is a person. But I don't want to just give us a bunch of ammo to say, all right, now I know he's a person, I would say, who cares? Who cares that he's a person? What difference does it make? And here's the deal. I want to say, so what, Andrew? So what that he's a person? Well, here's the so what. You can enjoy a relationship with him. If he's a person, you can have a relationship with him. You can talk to him. You can listen to him. You can walk with him, which is one of Paul's favorite metaphors. You can care about what he cares about. And this one's an interesting side point because I think sometimes those of us who grew up in maybe a more, I don't know if you call it conservative or whatever vein, we're a little scared of hanging out with the Holy Spirit because we think, well, the Father and the Son are gonna get ticked off if we spend too much time with Him. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's crazy about the Father and the Son. He loves them to death. And we're gonna talk more about the Trinity later so if you hang out with the Holy Spirit and you listen to what's really important to Him, you're going to care about the Father and the Son too. It doesn't have to be an either-or kind of uh, proposition. And what kind of a double standard is it where we're okay with ignoring Him? That's all right. I just don't want to ignore the Father and the Son. Ignoring any of them grieves all three of them. So why, why do we feel like we have to? We don't. Let me go into the next one. He's not just any person is God he is God every bit as much as the father is God and the son is God the Holy Spirit is God and one of the things we know this is the names that are given him throughout the Bible we can tell a lot about a person by the different names and titles that they associate with him if you know that I'm a husband you know I'm married you know i'm a father you know i got kids if you know i'm a businessman for instance you know i got a business well the holy spirit has names that tell us an awful lot about him he's got a lot of names we're not going to hit them all but i want to show you a couple the first one he is the holy spirit now we mentioned that there are a lot of spirits out there not all of them are holy at all many of them are unclean they're demons what does holy mean Set apart. Yes, he's not just any spirit. He's set apart from the rest of the spirits because he is God. He is set apart from the rest of the spirits. The second one is even more plain. He's the spirit of God. That's a name used over and over in the New Testament. How do you use that name and not think he's God? He's the spirit of God. You don't like that one? 1 Corinthians 3.18. One more. I love this one. I just actually noticed this one this week. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Lord who is the Spirit. Who's your Lord? God. This says the Lord who is the Spirit so he's the Lord as well. Here's another thing. He does things that only God does. Let me, let me tell you a couple, just what I'm talking about. You look at this list here. You look at the creation, the virgin birth, crucifixion, resurrection, and salvation. I think all of us would say in a heartbeat, yeah, the Father and Son were definitely intricate in all of those things. But what I want to tell you, and I'm not going to turn to these verses. You can write them down if you want. The Spirit was right there too. Genesis 1-2, he hovered over the waters at creation. Okay? Virgin birth, he overshadowed Mary. That's how she got pregnant with the Son of God. It was the Holy Spirit. The crucifixion. Hebrews 9.14 says that Jesus offered himself through the eternal Spirit. The resurrection, it says he was made alive by the Spirit. Our salvation, it says we receive rebirth and renewal by the Spirit. Now, I think it'd be kind of weird if the Holy Spirit just happened to be, like, like if he was just some sort of, non-God tag-along in all these situations. He's like, hey, can I come? I know I'm not really deity, but it'd be cool to hang up. That doesn't make any sense. There's three there, and they're all involved. It tells me they're all God. Okay? He's involved in every one of those and more. Another one, you guys know about Ananias, right? God cares about holiness. If you ever doubt that, read Acts chapter 5. Church just starts out, two people lie about how much money they're bringing to God. It's not the amount, it's the lie. God says you're both going to die. Now, when Ananias was getting confronted about this, in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter first says, You have lied to the Holy Spirit, Ananias. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, what's he say down at the end of verse 4? You have not lied to men, but to God. So you've got to ask yourself did he lie to the Holy Spirit or did he lie to God? Yes, is the answer. Because the Holy Spirit is God. One more. Sometimes you'll get in the New Testament and you'll see where the New Testament authors like to quote the Old Testament. That's an important part of how the Bible works. Well, look at Acts chapter 28 where Paul is under house arrest and he's talking to a group of people. Listen to what Paul says. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. So let me ask you guys the question. Help me solve this. Who did Paul say spoke that? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. All right, now let's go to the passage in Isaiah that he was quoting. Then I heard the voice of who? The Lord, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go? Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So who said that? Was it the Holy Spirit or the Lord? Yes. Yes. It's just like if you were a reporter on the beat in Washington and one, one report said Barack Obama said and the other report said the president said. Everybody knows both quotes are talking about Obama, right? He's the president. In this case, the Holy Spirit is the Lord. Now, one thing you run into, I don't know how many of you talk to those who don't believe the Holy Spirit is God They love to throw up to you that the word Trinity is found nowhere in Scripture. And you should agree with that. The word Trinity is not found in the Scripture. And what I want to tell you today is do not let that throw you for a second. You know what you can say to them? You say, you know what? The word pornography is not in there either. (laughs) So you want to go with me down to the convenience store and get a few magazines and check them out? Oh, no! No, we can't do that. Why? doesn't say anything about that in the Bible. Well, there's verses that talk about lust. There's verses that talk about what we should look at that affect that. And that's when he said, yeah, and there's plenty of verses that talk about the Holy Spirit being God as well. Let's not play this game that just because the Word is not in there, the Word has nothing to say about it. He's God. He's God. So what? The Holy Spirit's God? This is pretty straightforward. You should worship him you should worship the Holy Spirit just like you worship the Father and the Son. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. I I love it especially when I'm opening my Bible. Holy Spirit, please help me understand this book that you wrote. You should submit to him just like you submit to God when he's leading you, okay. Whatever you say, sing to him. You can sing to the Holy Spirit just like you sing to the Father and the Son because he's God. Two more points. He lives in every believer. Every believer. There are people walking around the church world that will try their darndest to tell you that it's possible to believe in Jesus Christ and not yet have the Holy Spirit. I like to take them to the Apostle Paul because he knows a little bit more than I do and he was inspired by God. Romans chapter 8 Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that's another name for the Spirit, if anyone does not have the Spirit, he does not belong to Christ. So you tell me, according to that verse, is it possible to somehow have Christ without the Spirit? Not at all. It's a package deal. And I think we talked about before, it's kind of like saying I've got a Reese's peanut butter cup with no peanut butter. No, you got chocolate. Chocolate. Or I got a book with no words or pictures. No, you got blank paper. Or I'm playing baseball without a ball. No, you're standing in a field. (laughs) If you're a person without the Holy Spirit, you're a person in need of Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because they go together. Ephesians 1:13 this tells us when it happened you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed that's the moment when you believe in what Jesus did for you that he died for your sins that he rose again and you put your trust in that for your salvation you were marked in him with the seal the promised holy spirit you don't have to wait for anything having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Not sometime later. And if you think it's conditional, like somehow you got to reach this level of holiness to get him, which is silly because you can't be holy without him. Just look at the Corinthian church. That was a church where they were cool with a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law. That was a messed up church. And Paul said this to them. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So it can't be conditional. That was a messed up church. And he's telling them, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Whom you have received from God. You say, so what about this? Holy Spirit lives in me. Realize you are a temple of the living God, if you believe in Jesus Christ because he lives in you in the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the living God. And I don't know if you guys watch Amazing Race like we do every Sunday. We turn on the DVR and they go to all these awesome places. They go to these Buddhist temples and different temples that are so beautiful. And you watch how people take such care of those places. They, they have such reverence and they're quiet and they're very respectful. God doesn't live there. God lives inside of those who believe in Jesus. So you look at how those people treat their temples where God doesn't even live and say, Gosh, if this is God's temple, what do I allow to run through my mind on a daily basis? God's in there. What, What do I allow my hands to do? Where do I allow my feet to take me? I'm a temple. You know how much trouble we go to when somebody's coming over to get ready. God came over. He's already there. Are you realizing you're a temple of the living God? And how would that change things if you did? But secondly, a more encouraging note, you're not alone. You never again have to ask God, God, please be with me as I walk through this trial. He is with you. Maybe we just need to realize that he lives inside of me. I'm not alone. And how much must he love you? An infinite God to say, I'm going to live in them. How special must he think you are? That ought to encourage the socks off of you. Last but not least, he brings Three realities to our lives. And I say that humbly because we could talk about thousands. But for the sake of our series where we're going, I think a lot of what he brings into our lives could fall under three categories. And I get it from the word put. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What do I want to say with that word put, the three realities we're going to be talking about throughout this series. First, he brings power into our lives, power to live the life of Jesus Christ, to say yes to the right and no to the wrong. He brings unity. I want to talk about unity in the Godhead, talk about how he brings unity between mankind and God, how he brings unity between believers, and he brings truth into our lives through his word. He teaches us how to pray, where to go, what to say, power, unity, and truth. So you say, so what? Believe in what the Holy Spirit can do in and through you. How many of us believe in what the Holy Spirit can do in and through us? I see a few, (laughs) and I'm sure there's more. Some people just don't like to raise hands. That's okay. (laughs) i want to leave you with a couple questions to think through as you go into your week and as we launch into this series. Number one, am I enjoying a relationship with the Holy Spirit as a person? Am I enjoying that? Do I worship him as God? Do I realize I'm a temple of the living God? And do I believe that the Holy Spirit can do God-sized things in and through me? I hope so. Switchfoot has a new album, relatively new, called Vice Verses. And there's a line in one of those songs that I think ought to rattle through our brains as we go through this series. The line says, why would I wait till I die to come alive? Why? Why? What are we waiting for to come alive? He's already brought us to life. It's just some of us are afraid to grab onto that. Why would I wait till I die to come alive? One more question. There are many people in our world looking for something spiritual. Leave us with the question as a church and as individuals. When they look at us, when we enter into their world, will they find it? Or will they find people trying to do things in their own power, just like everybody else? Lord, I thank you so much for your word. You don't leave us guessing about your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he is God and he's with us. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't wait till we die to come alive, that we grab onto the power and the relationship and the holiness of being his temple right now. That we believe that he really can do God-sized things through us as individuals, as a church, as missional communities, and around the world. We want that. We don't want to play this game in our own power we don't want to have a great looking watch that doesn't tick. Or we want your power, Holy Spirit, to infuse everything we do, every word we say, every decision we make, every place we go. I ask you for that. Thank you, Father, and Jesus for sending him. And Lord, I pray that you be glorified as we continue to learn and grow in our application of his presence in our lives. Even as we prepare to take our offering, Lord, I pray that we give just as he leads, not under compulsion, but hilariously, as Paul talked about. One more act of worship to an almighty king who gave it all for us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.